Welcome to Screen Time with Rokan and Richard Roper. I'm Richard Roper. Rokan is on assignment this summer. He'll be rejoining us in the fall. In the meantime, uh, it's been a while since we've actually done some reviews. So I thought for this week's edition of the podcast, we're going to talk about a ton of movies and streaming series that are out right now. There's a lot of great stuff and some stuff for you to avoid. But before we get into all of that, let me remind you that Screen Time with Rowan Roper is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. The digital landscape is changing rapidly, and to compete in today's online business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, web development, e-commerce, mobile apps, and digital marketing to drive your overall business's success because they believe that today's online world is your online opportunity. Visit AmericanEagle.com to get started today. I'm actually in the beautiful AmericanEagle.com studios right now in wonderful Des Plaines, Illinois, or some people call it Des Plaines. And uh, I got to say, man, we've got great engineers here. Let everybody helping out. I love this studio. We're going to talk about stuff that's playing right now. We're going to start off with what we like to call what not to watch. These are some entries that fall short for one reason or another. Sometimes you can see it coming a mile away. Sometimes it's kind of disappointing because it looks good, but I'm the one that watches all this shit so you guys don't have to. And hopefully I can save your time and you can get to the good stuff. So I want to start with one that is a disappointment because I was really looking forward to this one. It's called The Princess. It's a documentary on HBO. Believe it or not, we are almost 25 years away from the tragic death of Princess Diana in Paris in 1997, almost 25 years ago. This is a documentary about Princess Diana. Now, we have had so many documentaries and so many books and, of course, even fictional reinterpretations of events. Uh, We just saw it with uh, Kristen Stewart doing a fantastic job playing uh, the Princess of Wales. We saw Helen Mirren and the Queen, which was her story, but a lot of it, of course, was about the aftermath of the accident, the tragic accident that took the lives of Diana and her driver and her bodyguard, and the Queen's reluctance to make a public statement. Then finally she did. Helen Mirren won the Academy Award for that. Now, the documentary here, it's very straightforward. There's no narrator. There's no uh, interviews with people who were close to Diana, no family members, nobody from the royal family. It's just a straightforward chronological account of the life and times of Princess Diana from 1981, when she got engaged to Prince Charles, to her death some 16 years later. Could I ask you first, Your Royal Highness, what was your instant impression? Well, I remember thinking what a very jolly and amusing and and attractive 16-year-old she was. I don't know what you thought of me. Pretty amazing. Sweet, kind. The princess has been the best thing to happen to the monarchy in centuries. Did you get a chance to see her? Yes! Diana is very big news everywhere. It's the media that's causing the problems. Leave them alone. I think we've got an unhealthy obsession. And I have to say, we know this story. All great respect to the memory of someone who was very troubled but was a great mom and did incredible charitable work around the world. All we're seeing is just a lot of archival news footage and then TV chat shows in Britain and people, you know, on these shows commenting on events. We've seen a lot of this before. and It feels like they want to make this an indictment of the paparazzi. And yet the documentary itself is using the exact same footage that the paparazzi use. So the, to me, the hypocrisy there is absolutely blinding. So 
it's a prestige project from a, an acclaimed director. It's HBO, which is still one of the blue ribbon premium services. Uh, but the princess, I think it's really just sort of like a visual Wikipedia. We know all this and it doesn't really add any new insight or enlightenment. So skip that one. Uh, here's one that kind of new is probably going to be a crap fest, uh, just from the trailers. Uh, but you never know. It's called Day Shift. It's on Netflix. Uh, Academy Award winner Jamie Foxx uh, stars. <laughs> I'm telling you guys, this is just so stupid. It, this, Jamie Foxx plays Bud Jablonski. That's uh, actually his name in this uh, movie. Uh, he's a pool man. He, he cleans pools in the greater Los Angeles area. But he's actually, are you ready for this? He's actually a vampire hunter. Let's take a listen. Vampire hunting is a business. Cut necks and cash your checks. Well, things have changed since you got your ass kicked out for union. If I don't come up with 10K, my wife and my daughter are going to move to Florida. Hi, Dad. You're late again. And the union is the only place that could give me that kind of money. Your record is chock full of incidents. He's a new man. One last chance. This is your final warning. This kid crying. Oh, no. It's just, uh, this is directed actually by a longtime stuntman, and this movie is very, very heavy on what they call ratchet pulls, and uh, the ratchet pull is, is that stunt that you've seen in dozens of movies, dozens upon dozens of movies. It involves wires and harnesses and winches and stuff, but basically, you know when someone gets punched and then they go flying through the wall 20 feet away, or they get pulled back? Those are ratchet pulls, and this movie is, is one ratchet pull after another, and it feels like we're getting ratchet pulled all over the place. Day shift, it's terrible. Here's an interesting one. Um, it's called I Love My Dad. James Morrissey is the writer-director star of this movie, and he based this on what he claims is something that happened to him in real life. He was kind of blocking and muting his father on social media, and his dad catfished him. His dad actually pretended to be a woman just so he could communicate with his son. So they take that premise, which is incredibly creepy, and they turned it into a dark comedy. Morrissey plays uh, the son here, uh, he has tried to commit suicide. He's been in therapy. He's been in a rehabilitation institute. Now he's out and he's blocking his father, Chuck, who's played by Patton Oswald. And I love Patton. And Patton Oswald's Chuck actually decides he's going to create a fake female persona. And that way he'll be able to communicate with his son. And then the son actually starts falling in love with the phony girl that's called Becca here. Let's take a listen to I Love My Dad. I uh, took some steps in setting healthy boundaries and blocked my dad online. Did you delete your profile? It's kind of the main way I was uh, staying in touch with you. I met someone online. She's like smart, funny. And you've like talked to her on the phone and stuff? Obviously. <laughs> this is creepy as This was your idea. That was my ex-girlfriend. This is your child. This girl's the love of my life. Keep your expectations low. She could be like mean or, or a scammer or, I mean, or your dad. <laughs> You know, it's just, it's one of those movies where they, that's the, that's the premise of it. The dad pretends to be a woman who has fallen in love with his son, and it's as creepy and cringe-inducing as you can imagine, and it paints itself into a weird corner from which it cannot escape. So, take a skipola on I Love My Dad. Another film, kind of in the same vein, not the same storyline, but another, you know, distinctly independent-looking film that takes a kind of a dark premise and tries to mine comedy from it is Sharp Stick. You see, I'm not someone who is destined to find love, so when it appears in my path, I have to take it. 
I was having an affair with a married man, and I know that makes me sound like I have no morals or scruples. I give my soul and body to this man, and then just in an instant. I'm so sorry, baby. I'm so sorry. No. Please, baby. Sarah Joe, could you please go? I'm trying to understand how this could have happened to me. Am I bad at sex? I must execute a plan. Nobody will ever have the chance to do this to me again. Now, this is from Lena Dunham, who, of course, had a breakthrough at the age of 24 with an uh, indie film called Tiny Furniture, and then the hugely successful, groundbreaking, and often controversial Girls, which ran on HBO from 2012 to 2017. This is uh, Lena Dunham's only her third feature film, believe it or not, because she's done so many other uh, different projects. So here's the premise here. Christine Froseth plays Sarah Jo. She's 26 years old, but she kind of acts and dresses and has the emotional maturity of someone who's maybe 14. It's very, very strange. She decides she's going to lose her virginity, and she works as a nanny for a family, and uh, John Bernthal is the the dad in the family, so she decides that she's going to lose her virginity to him, and she does. Then they embark on this crazy affair. Lena Dunham, by the way, plays John Bernthal's wife in this. She's pregnant, so she's unaware of what's happening with her husband and the nanny, and then she finds out, So the nanny gets kicked out of the house, the affair ends, and this is when this movie gets really weird because then Sarah Jo decides that she's going to embark on a sexual journey from A to Z, literally from A to Z, alphabetically, with each letter standing for terms I can't even repeat to you guys on the podcast, and it's all about this, and and so she goes on social media and, you know, swipes left, swipes right, swipes whatever you swipe, and engages in these, you know, often hardcore, strange, experimental sexual acts with a series of strange men, all in the name of some sort of sexual awakening. And I don't know what Lena Dunham was trying to accomplish here, what type of social commentary, but it's a kind of a, it has a couple of interesting moments. To me, we feel so sorry for this young woman. We feel like she needs help. And the movie, it doesn't serve the character well at all. And the ending is absolutely ludicrous. Sharp stick, avoid it. All right, a couple more under the category of what not to watch. I want to mention Not Okay. Once again, we're talking about a rather smallish film. And I like the premise here, but once again, it doesn't follow through all the way. Zoe Deutsch, who I love, uh, who's done a lot of great stuff. Her father is a, a director who did a lot of great stuff like Pretty in Pink. Her mother is Leah Thompson, who was the mom in Back to the Future. And Zoe's wonderful, and she's already got a great career going, and she's very likable. And that was kind of interesting here because she's playing against type here in Not Okay. So she plays Danny Sanders. She works at a zeitgeist website called Depravity, and she's completely clueless and narcissistic. You know, she wants to become a writer, and she's pitching articles with titles such as Why Am I So Sad? in which she talks of fear of missing out because she was on vacation with her family during 9-11. And she feels sad about that, not about the tragedy of 9-11. In an attempt to become noticed, and this is another one of these films that's all about young people, Gen Zers and millennials who just want to be noticed and have to record every moment on TikTok or Instagram or, or Twitter or whatever the case may be. She concocts a story about going to Paris on a writer's retreat because she wants to become a writer. She doesn't really go to Paris. She just photoshops a bunch of stupid photos of her, kind of Emily in Paris stuff. Here she is with the baguette. Here she is in front of the Arc de Triomphe. Here she is at the Eiffel Tower. While she is allegedly, supposedly, putatively in Paris, a terrorist attack strikes 
And now everybody thinks that she has survived a terrorist attack. She comes home. She fakes coming home. She goes to the airport with a suitcase, tries to blend in with the actual passengers who are arriving back home in America from Paris. Her parents greet her there. And all of a sudden, she becomes a media darling. She's the, you know, the, the girl that survived the terrorist attacks and lived to write about it. That's the premise for Not Okay. Kind of interesting. We're, we got this set up now. How long is she going to be able to maintain this lie? How far is she going to go with it? All of a sudden, the dude she had a crush on that she was invisible to thinks she's great. All of a sudden, her editor at the website wants her to become a star writer. Now she's befriending other survivors, real survivors of various tragedies, including a school shooting. What is she going to do about it? I don't feel like you take me seriously as a writer. That's because you're a photo editor. Okay. Have you ever wanted to be noticed so badly? So what are you? I'm a writer. I'm looking to develop my work by traveling, going to Paris for it. I got invited to a writer's retreat in Paris. Yes, really. We have some breaking news at this hour. A string of terrorist attacks struck Paris this morning, leaving dozens dead. She's okay. Oh my God, you're the girl from the Paris attacks. Be careful what you wish for. The problem with not okay is they don't really have much of a character arc for this character, for Danny, in my opinion. Of course, she's going to get found out, but the way in which she gets found out and then what she does after that, a real letdown. So again, it's, it's kind of an interesting premise and it just doesn't follow through. There are so many films where it probably looked good on paper. There's a lot of you know, rich characters in the screenplay, but you got to get to the next level. Sometimes just doesn't translate on film. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. Rokan's going to tell you about Portillo's. And then we're going to come back with some good news. Tons of great movies and streaming series that you should check out. Portillo's are known for their famous Chicago hot dogs with all the freshest and tastiest ingredients right down to the poppy seed bun and, of course, their legendary chocolate cake. But that's just the beginning, my friends. The menu has mouth-watering varieties of favorites from a charbroiled burger to an Italian beef to a mm-hmm. cheese fry to a chopped salad and the chocolate cake. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. If you are a fan of this podcast or heard any other episode of this, you know how I feel about the chocolate cake. It's the greatest chocolate cake in the history of chocolate or cake. Portillo's also has locations throughout the Midwest and in Florida, California, and Arizona. Order curbside pickup or delivery today. Ship Portillo's anywhere in the United States of America by ordering at portillos.com. That's P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S.com. So if you had some money, what would you do? I just want to be able to experience things. I just want to be free. How are you? I need a real job. Just to, like, pay my loans. Emily, yo. Let me uh, hook you up. Get your driver license. In the next hour, you will make 200 cash. But you will have to do something illegal. You won't be in danger, but you will be breaking the law. Tomorrow, you have the option to do another job, okay? What do I have to do? That was a clip from Emily the Criminal. I'm Richard Roper. This is Screen Time. And for part two of the podcast, we're going to talk about the good stuff. And man, is Emily the Criminal really cool, really badass. One of my favorite movies of the year. Uh, John Patton Ford is the director of this film. And it's kind of a gritty outskirts of Los Angeles, 
noir crime movie that feels so authentic. You know, there are certain films where everybody in the movie, all the situations feel real. And that's the case here. So Aubrey Plaza, who, of course, I love Aubrey Plaza. She was great on Parks and Recreation, and she's carved out a really nice film career. And she often plays, you know, these characters who have a very kind of dry, sarcastic wit, can just cut you to ribbons with like a withering glance or a comment, but often have some humanity behind that and some vulnerability there, which makes her more than just a one-trick pony, so to speak. And this is one of her best performances here. So she's playing the title character. She's Emily. She's from New Jersey. Uh, she came out to Los Angeles hoping to become an artist. She's definitely got talent, but due to circumstances beyond her control, she was unable to finish. Well, some of the circumstances are her own fault, but let's just say she was unable to finish school very close to graduation. Now it's about 10 years later. She's $70,000 in debt. She is working as an independent contractor for a catering company. In other words, she's one of those people that comes with a little white uniform on and brings the big trays of food to corporate events and, and weddings and things like that. And it's a tough job and it doesn't pay a lot. In fact, uh, her monthly loan payments don't even cover the interest on the student debt she has. So she's kind of open to trying anything to finally make some money. So a coworker gives her a tip, sends her to this warehouse where a guy named Yusuf, who's played by Theo Rossi, Theo Rossi, you might remember, was Juice on Sons of Anarchy, I've done a lot of other great stuff, a terrific actor. He plays a guy named Yusuf, and he's gathered a bunch of people together, friends of friends and other kind of people who are a little bit desperate, and says, you can make $200 an hour, but what you're going to do is illegal. Some of the people leave, some of the people stick around to find out what the deal is. So it turns out that Yusuf is running this widespread operation involving stolen credit cards and fake IDs. So Emily gets a fake ID, a stolen black card, and then goes into big box stores and she'll buy a flat screen TV, sometimes even bigger items. And then she hands them off to Yusuf. He obviously resells them, fences them, and she gets her money. It gets darker and deeper. She gets plunged into this criminal world. Then there's kind of a romance with Yusuf. Theo Rossi and Aubrey Plaza are great together as two essentially good people who have found themselves in a terrible circumstance. And again, it's of their own doing. They could do other things, but they just haven't had the breaks in life and they've resorted to this. And of course, as the case in a lot of these types of movies, they just want to make enough money so they can get out and get to the straight life. And he, you know, she wants to go to art school or get a job at an ad agency. He wants to run an apartment complex and be a, a landlord and get all this crazy danger stuff behind them. But of course, that's not what happens in movies like this, right? It always gets darker and grittier. This kind of reminded me of a little bit of a Tarantino film. Also reminded me of some great crime films from the 70s and the 80s. Uh, Straight Time with Dustin Hoffman, Thief with James Caan. This is kind of a lower key version of that. But I loved this film. It's just so well done, well filmed, great editing, and two of the best performances of the year from Aubrey Plaza and Theo Rossi. Emily the Criminal is the movie. Check it out. Now, here's something that probably costs a uh, hundred times as much as Emily the Criminal. Bullet Train is in theaters now and is doing quite well. You probably have heard about this because it's a, it's a giant movie. I think you might be forgetting what you do for a living. Take the gun. Every job I do, somebody dies. I'm not that guy anymore. Some conflicts require a gun. Okay, what am I snatching and or grabbing? A briefcase. You said you wanted simple for your first job back. Doesn't get simpler. 
You stab me? Yeah! Oh, we'll ruin your life the way you ruin mine. Dude, I don't even know you. It stars Brad Pitt, and he's a he's an assassin, and he's on this bullet train that's in going across uh, Japan. And there's a bunch of other assassins on the train. Brian Tyree Henry, Aaron Taylor Johnson, Joey King, Benito Martinez, who you might know as Bad Bunny. They are just some of the other killers on this train. So this is sort of a badass, balls out, extremely violent, Agatha Christie movie, Bullet Train. It's really well done. You know, we've had a lot of these kind of, you know, big slick thrillers we just had the gray man a couple of weeks ago and it's all about the execution here and uh, brad pitt is perfectly cast as this kind of this he's yes he's a hired assassin or killer or bag man whatever the case may be but he's kind of reached a new point of enlightenment in his life he doesn't really want to use a gun he doesn't want to hurt anybody but he's in a circumstance where he's going to have to a lot of action really cool cinematography you know they did this with green screen they're on a train but obviously they're not actually you know zipping through the countryside I-, I thought that was all really well done dark comedy great performances from everybody bullet train is one of those big summer dumb action movies that it's really entertaining as hell here's another one now this is a hulu film and it went straight to hulu and i think they're already regretting that because it's done so well. Although, I mean, it's still like one of the most popular films they've ever had, but I think it should have got a theatrical release. I'm talking about Prey. This is the 300 years plus prequel well in advance of all the Predator movies. And I think that's one of the great things they did with this. Yes, it's in the Predator universe, but it's really this great standalone story. So it's set in 1719 in the Great Plains. Amber Midhunter plays a young Comanche woman who has been trained as a healer, wants to become a great hunter, is not taken seriously by her big brother and the males in the tribe. But she's the one who says there's something more than a bear or a mountain lion out there ripping things to shreds and creating havoc on the Great Plains. And that, of course, is the predator, as we eventually find out. There's something out there. I'm coming with you. You can't. I'm trying to protect you. Protect me from what? It's time. It knows how to hunt. I know how to survive. You know, the Predator franchise... The first one, you know, with the famous get to the chopper and all that stuff. I'm not going to do Arnold because everybody does Arnold. It's a very testosterone-fueled, macho, very mid-80s action film. And it's, it's pretty entertaining. It's, it's not a great film. It, it's kind of a great premise, and, and it does what it's supposed to do. I was not a huge fan of anything that came out after that. Any of the sequels, you know, it reached its low point when the Predator and the Alien started fighting each other. That's just cartoon crap. Uh, but Prey, I think, could have a universe of its own, could certainly have a sequel set back in the 18th century. And yes, it's a Predator movie, but so much of it is almost like The Revenant. It's so much about this character of Nauru, Amber Midhunter, who's just amazing in this. I mean, she's fierce and lovely and smart and resourceful and vulnerable and just the center of the film. And it's a star-making performance it's brilliantly executed how she, this, this small, 
Comanche young woman who has only rudimentary, you know, she's got a hatchet and she's got a bow and arrow. And of course the predator's got everything you can imagine. How could she outwit, outlast, outplay, outsmart the predator? And she, well, spoiler alert, she probably does. I don't think it's going to end. You probably know this movie's not going to end with the predator killing everyone. Uh, so the, you know, the screenplay is terrific. The direction is first rate. A lot of beautiful visuals of, you know, this, the amazing, great, you know, and sometimes very unforgiving, great planes and some just fiercely great work from Amber Midhunter. So uh, Prey, even though it is a Predator movie, it's one of the best movies of the year in any genre. All right, we're going to finish off our look at uh, movies currently in theaters or streaming near you with Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Who wants to play Bodies, Bodies, Bodies? Service? Yeah. Guys, I get so stressed out every time we play this. Someone always ends up crying. So how do you play? If you draw the piece of paper that has the X on it, you are the murderer. Everyone else has to avoid being killed. What is happening? Our friend is dead. So if you could just like not escalate this situation, then I'm not escalating. You're holding the knife and you're moving your hands while you talk. And I love this film as well. So this is kind of a dark social media Gen Z take on slasher movies. And it's just brilliantly done. So the setup of Bodies, Bodies, Bodies is a group of longtime friends. Most of them have been friends for a long time. Most of them are quite wealthy. They're very narcissistic. They're self-involved. They, they care mostly about each other. There's a lot of passive, aggressive behavior among them. They all get together at this mansion in New York. Uh, which is owned by the character that Pete Davidson plays, uh, his parents. Pete Davidson plays David. He's this smarmy trust fund brat. He prattles around the house in a hoodie saying terrible things about everybody. But everybody gets together at his parents' house because there's a hurricane coming and they're going to party the weekend away because that's what these type of people would do. God forbid they try to help somebody or even look after themselves. They're just going to party during the hurricane. There's a whole group of them. Uh, one's a podcaster. One's an aspiring actress. Etc. Etc. There's an older dude who's kind of a Matthew McConaughey-esque type of guy, and his name is Greg. He's played by Lee Pace, who's terrific. And they start playing a game called Bodies, 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 which is a murder game. The lights go out, and one person is the killer, and they, you know, you tap somebody, and then they have to play dead. Except for when they play the game and the lights go on, one of their group actually is dead. Somebody is a killer. Somebody is dead. It's not going to be the only body that we're going to see turn up in this film. And then what transpires is this really pitch black social satire about kind of Lord of the Flies, if you will, of th these people turning against each other. And we get some gruesomely funny, quite frankly, deaths as people keep just doing the worst things to each other. So it's got a slasher film quality to it, but also this social satire. All of it works really well. It's the kind of film that's either going to be you're either going to love it or you're going to go, this is just complete bullshit. I, I thought it was just brilliantly done. It's called Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. And that'll do it for this episode of Screen Time. I'm Richard Roper. We'll be back next week. We're going to take a look. We're getting close. Believe it or not, it's almost September. Next episode, we're going to take a look at some of the best back-to-school movies of all time. <laughs>